Welcome to Planner Parlay, the show where we come together under a flag of truce to talk about small agency strategy. On today's show, our guests are hot off the heels of Stratfest 2019, an event hosted by the 4As in New York City. Listen in as Steve Cazell, Group Strategy Director at OBP in St. Louis, Sarah McFarland, Director of Strategy from R&R Partners in Las Vegas, and of course, John Roberts, Chief of Strategy from Truth Collective in Rochester, New York, recap the event, their key learnings, and what it all means for small agency planners. Pull up a chair and listen in. So... Steve and Sarah, John, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank hey, you. thanks for having us. So, John, I'm going to start with you. Could you describe Stratfest for those who haven't been there? Give us kind of the rundown of the event. What is it for? How does it work? What's it like? So it's interesting. Stratfest is uh, the annual conference you said that the 4 put on. And for me, what's really interesting is it's less about the conference, more about a little bit of a melting pot. You have 300 planners, strategists, people involved in our industry that are fundamentally all there to try and learn from each other, inspire each other, and we all get a little jealous as well. <laughs> Steve, what makes this event unique compared to other events you've attended, other kind of marketing conferences, strategy events? Maybe one thing is that it's it's really organized around a discipline uh, rather than a theme, a topic, an industry. And what that means for attendees is you really feel like you are amongst brethren and uh, people who really understand the things that you're going through on a day-to-day basis in your role. So there's a lot to relate to and a lot to agree on and you know a lot of shared pain points which can be you know really build camaraderie. Sarah, what makes this event unique for you? I love that you called it the under the flag of truce because I I feel like this event is really unique in that in my day-to-day life I may never encounter another strategist, right? There's not that many of us within an agency and and then when we do meet each other, it's usually in a competitive environment. Mm-hmm. So being able to come together and just share, I think people come in such a beautiful spirit. They're very open. You know, we talk as if we're all on the same side, which is wonderful, and, and just really grow the discipline as a total. You know, that's really interesting, Sarah. And I remember um, we were actually having a beer at the time. But talking about... <laughs> Maybe several. Yes. This might have been two or three in. But we all know that planners are innately curious. What's really interesting is the flip side to that is the curiosity never seems to be held in, never seems to be constraining. So <laughs> what it actually means is that we're curious, but we're also really generous in sharing and asking. So yeah, it's a really, uh, it's a really powerful for me at the point Steve was making was really great about the coming together. We're, we're all from the same, cut from similar cloth and certainly in the same field. Yeah, I love that. We're... We're kind of nerds and artists. We're not, I think, as a whole, innately competitive. We have to be that way. That's one of the hats we have to wear. But I think we're a little bit nerdier than we are the competitive nature. Speaking my language. Um, (laughs) So what were three takeaways from it? And I'm going to ask each one of you this question. Kind of like your top insights that you took away from Stratfest that you want to share with our audience. And I'll start with John. So what was interesting for me was... It was less a specific topic, more, I think, a, a growing attitude that I saw last year and was really evident again this year. I'd love to see what, uh, what Steve and Sarah's opinion was on this, but the bigger trying to get smaller. So what the, the giant communication agencies, networks, and the, the greats and the goods that they're sharing, they're also really, really keen to push hard on how they need to be smaller, meaning scrappy, inventive, relentless, 
uh, more involved. All of the, the, the flip side to small agency in terms of the benefits of small agency that we're obviously going to talk more about. So I thought that was a really good, powerful theme for me that was an attitude that came across. Sarah, how about you? One of the biggest takeaways for me was that we're not alone in a lot of the challenges that we're facing, whether it's keeping up with some radically changing times or how to approach purpose-driven work from a real authentic place. I think we're all facing those big challenges together and being able to navigate together and really being able to share some of our strategies against that. Steve, how about you? One that kind of kept recurring for me, you know, it sounds obvious. Obviously, as strategists, we're always trying to be attuned to culture or subcultures. But the extent to which culture really drives everything seemed really apparent. That manifested itself in conversation around employee engagement and the leadership forum on Wednesday, where we were kind of talking about how you can make sure that members of your team feel engaged in the opportunities to ask questions that can help them kind of develop solutions uh, and that culture in that context is really critical, whether that's within the agency, client side, you know, all of those dimensions of it. But then there was a lot around, you know, representation of uh, cultures and subcultures in the advertising work that we do. You know, a lot of the program content was around broader diversity and depictions of women, minorities in advertising, and then disruption, cultural disruptions, be it through direct consumer brands or generational disruptions in terms of, you know, what younger audiences are doing to kind of usurp control or unseat kind of incumbent influencers. So, so all of those things seem to kind of keep coming back to this notion that like as much as culture is almost a cliche obsession of ours, it really is a point of origination for all change. And the more we can understand what's happening uh, before it really impacts uh, our clients, businesses, and their brands, the more we can kind of help, yeah, you know, future-proof seems like a cliche way to say it, but uh, identify opportunities before we really feel negative impacts because we haven't anticipated them appropriately. And, and maybe at our, on our best days, shape some of the culture as well. Yeah, good pickup, Steve. And it was funny. It reminded me that Richard Tabakawala, who kicked off, who says amazing, engaging, eloquent perspective on, on the future for us all from a purposes group. But I think it's true to any strategist or planner. He talked about change sucks, but irrelevance is worse. But we are really curious, inquisitive, and we know that irrelevance sucks. So there was really good context for that. As strategists, we're not really allowed to get to a point where we're shaking our fists and saying, get off my lawn. Like we can't resist change. Our mandate is really to stay ahead of it and to guide our brands and our companies through whatever that means and really make the best calls for them before change happens to them. In terms of external and internal culture and like some of the challenges you both all, all have already mentioned about how, you know, you're in general kind of in a competitive state, you can't come together. The competition that happens between agencies and things, does it hinder you guys from being able to develop internal cultures, share what's working from one agency to the next and those kinds of things? When you look at the strategy discipline or the planning discipline as a practice within the industry, I'm kind of of the mind that, that a rising tide lifts all boats. The better we can help each other succeed in our individual roles within our agencies for our respective clients, the more the discipline continues to be seen as a valuable one that clients are asking for, they're willing to pay for, that they're they're making a point to engage upstream at a higher level within their business. I mean, to me, I think that that's the goal, right, is that we're, we're working towards the greater good for everyone. At our worst, we get 
you know, defensive and, and cagey about, you know, what we're doing that's working for us. I just don't see that that would benefit all of us collectively. And the vibe I picked up on at Stratfist is that everybody sees it the same way, right? That like, we're all trying to help each other improve our internal processes, improve our resources to actually develop strategies and bring value to client brands. And that we want strategy to show up strong in the context of agency work. We want to be seen at the same level as creative and media be respected and be valued in that context. Steve, that's a really good point. And it made me think a little bit because we're in the environment of Stratfest where the band of brothers and sisters and we're all together is true. How is that back in agency life? Well, so for me, my team, we've got a handful of folks within the agency that have come together just in the past year. Our department is relatively new within the agency. And so with that has come all of the growing pains of installing the discipline and the, and the practice. And that's been a real bonding experience for those of us within the team, many of which have come over from other departments. And so to that extent, we're all <laughs> fighting for ourselves within the agency to get a seat at the table, to get plugged in in the process in the right point, to get FaceTime with clients, to, you know, all the things that I think really were voiced and, and echoed in conversation with other strategists there, especially ones that are relatively new to, to strategy or planning or bringing the discipline to an agency for the first time. But when I meet other strategy folks, you know, in, for instance, the St. Louis market or the Nashville market, you know, the, those mid markets, oftentimes we're fighting for the same clients in our backyards. And it is tempting to to be a little bit cagey, like I said, and, and no, hey, listen, it's going to be the next time around where we're RFP'd for the same piece of work. And do, do I really want to you know, exchange all my trade secrets when I could be giving somebody a leg up on, on our business. But I, I just don't know that we benefit from that thinking, to be honest. Now, the agency leadership would probably make a difference, but I, I really do think that as a, as a discipline, we benefit from cooperation and not competition. Or if it's competition, it's friendly. Yeah, Steve, I would really echo that. I think, you know, I leave the competitive urge to the biz dev folks, right? <laughs> Even though most of um, most of the folks at Stratfest were names that I had seen in competitive pitches, you know, over the past year or two. Yeah. I think that when we do come together as the discipline, sharing is more useful. I think um, that's the utility that's a little bit more interesting in in that arena. And and we also, I think, here at R and R, have a real strong continual growth mindset. So we're actually more rewarded for having that continual growth and. Things like Stratfest, sharing, and bringing back what we found and sharing it internally in the agency is is something that is really rewarded here. I, I do think there's a common bond to, you know, among strategists, but maybe among agencies as a whole that, you know, we face threats in industry. There's, there's a lot of other entities that are coming in and taking work that would have traditionally been ours, you know, in, in a variety of different contexts and different types of engagements. But, you know, especially for strategists, we're losing seats at tables that we used to potentially have one at, to, you know, consultancies, you know, content publishers that are offering some of those services themselves, you know, in-housing. So I think that one of the things that it's important to keep in mind, and I, I think we do subconsciously to a certain extent, is how can we all help each other to retain the value that agencies bring to clients and maintain the competitive advantage that we have as an industry against all of those other entities that would tell our clients that they don't need us or they don't need us for the same things. So, you know, I, I keep kind of coming back to the same thing, but I, I do think 
the more we can help each other build the value of our individual practice and discipline as well as our collective industry's value in the eyes of clients. I think it, it does away with this sort of like scarcity mindset. And ideally, there's more than enough work to go around because we've seen, you know, a rejuvenation in, in agency work as a whole. Yeah, Steve, I think you keep coming back to it because it's so important. I think <laughs> good, so. you know, good strategy uh, really provides value for good strategy. So all of us being able to share that discipline and, and really elevate, you know, that discipline is going to be uh, key moving forward. Yeah, that, that's those are fantastic insights. And uh, one of the things, networking is obviously a critical component of this. And we, we do a lot of talks, like John's going to do a talk shortly with students. I was at an event uh, last week with students. So for young professionals, right, they're coming into these events for the first time. Networking can be really intimidating. What would be like one tip each of you guys would have for a, a younger planner or strategist who's coming to these events for the first time to make connections? So a couple of thoughts. I actually, personally, I always think networking is pretty hard no matter how old and grizzled I am. <laughs> um, so I found a couple of ways. One is actually, particularly for things like Stratfest, okay, where we, we have uh, a really interesting agenda between uh, talks, key topics, uh, interviews, and then workshops would be grab the person next to you and ask them what workshop they're thinking of going to and why. Rather than introducing yourself, and it's funny, we always have this smile, which is that, similar to most conferences, you always look down at the name tag. And for small agencies, you're looking down at small agencies and still not knowing exactly where you're based or what you do and so on. So that doesn't matter. So tip for me would be to ask, um, ask the person next to you in a conference if they're going to a workshop, which one they're going to and why. Um, what is it that appeals to them? Just because it starts to break the ice. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's so funny that we struggle with it because we literally ask questions for a living, right? I mean, we're supposed to be in our practice out there talking to people all the time, and then we get into these groups and we're so intimidated by some of these, you know, very big prestigious names that we see on these badges, right? But I would also recognize that everyone's in the same boat. They don't know everyone there either, and people just inherently want people to talk to. So I just randomly approach strangers and strike up conversations. So I'll be the first to admit that networking is not my strength. I tend to be pretty introverted in environments like that. And um, it's, it's, it's tough for me to, to muster up the, the courage to j just walk up to somebody, introduce myself. And so to John's point, I think the more you can find those organic ways to make acquaintances and then kind of have them be familiar faces as the event goes along. I think that that can be really helpful, especially in the context of the workshops. You know, I think I mentioned I attended the, the Wednesday Leadership Forum in, in advance of the, the conference. And the nice thing about that is you immediately get immersed in the folks that are at the table with you and the topics of conversation. And you start to get familiar with other people there. You get some sense of, you know, the type of agency that they're at and their areas of focus. And and then when you bump into them throughout the the event, you can, to John's point, hit, hit them up with questions about, hey, you know, you, where are you coming from? Where are you headed to? What'd you like about it? And it just gives you some commonalities that you can touch on as, as you socialize throughout the event. And it, the other thing I would call out, and we've referred to it already, is the little jaunt that we took to, to Red Hook in Brooklyn, led by Ed Cotton. You know, that was one of those things where the invite went out and, and I frankly um, struggled to reply and, and say yes to you because those are things that I, I tend to not want to jump into. And maybe this is just something that folks in our field 
struggle with in general is just, you know, I think there's probably a lot of us that are introverted by nature and we tend to be in our heads. And so the more you can push yourself to engage other people and put yourself out there, yeah, everybody's thinking and feeling the same things and you just have to kind of get over yourself and, and make some friends. So any excuse to do that, try to say yes to it, even if it feels painful in the moment. So I'm going to stick those two points together because it's really good points. Sarah's point and Steve is actually a tip for me, for me for the next time I'm going to anything like this, but for, for anyone attending, I think is don't think be there as a planner, be there as a moderator or an interviewer and then take that role on because effectively then all you're doing is you're actually interviewing an audience to find out what matters and motivates them so you can find a way to, to connect with them. Yeah, I think that's a great point, John. So much of our job is, is about learning and understanding, right? So there, there's no reason that you can't think of the end event like that if it's not Stratfest, something similar. There's a chance to learn and understand this, the people who do what you do. And you don't, if you aren't comfortable socializing, don't think about it as socializing. Think about it as research. Fantastic. So we, we've talked a little bit kind of around the event in terms of like moments that you've liked, workshops, but from each of you, starting with Steve, what was your favorite moment or presenter? And what was the topic that you took away from it that you want to share with our audience? Well, I mean, <laughs> I I really do enjoy the, the Planner Parlay and it's my second year doing it. You know, I think it is a really focused opportunity for strategists and planners to get in a room and share and I, in the moment you realize how needed that exercise really is you know there it, it ranges from you know practical application people sharing tips and tricks to what what is essentially group therapy right i mean everybody just kind of sharing uh the stuff they deal with in their day-to-day -day and a bunch of other people kind of nodding and saying yeah we see you we're right there we understand so i just think it's a really rewarding window of time where you can feel very much a part of a community and, and for a lot of us i don't think we get that a lot in our in our day-to-day -day work so i you know maybe <laughs> Maybe it's an obvious one to go to, but it, it really has been a highlight for me both years that I've been to Stratfest. Yeah, I mean, kind of along the group therapy lines, I think I had a similar experience the past couple of years in the leadership workshop. This year, Agency Agile was there, and we talked a lot about, you know, bottom-up approach. But um, in addition to that, we also, as a group, really share a lot of the challenges that we're facing and, and work through them in real time. And I think it's that workshopping together with some people who really deeply understand my challenges on a day-to-day -day basis, that's been really valuable. All right, John, and you can't pick Planner Pilot. I'm definitely not picking Planner Pilot. What I actually loved, there was a session, a workshop run by uh, Karen Faith, Sub Rosa. And it was interesting to me because, of course, it was a packed house, 90 minutes, um, driven by her perspective on creating insight and empathy. So, of course, as planners, Okay, we're all paranoid about have we created enough empathy to really deliver the, the rich insight that's going to drive a significant change to the, to the role of strategy and the, the work that comes from it. But I thought what was really interesting for me was that she talked about something that's dear to my heart. Okay, empathy, empathy is not about compassion. I share your feelings. Our role for empathy is about cognitive empathy. I understand your feelings. So I took away from that in her workshop, I was very much hands-on of, of there are seven archetypes of empathy that she took us all through as a team. And archetypes of empathy meaning there are different ways and styles to deliver that cognitive understanding. And it reminded me that as a planner, we need to have so many more tools in our toolbox. 
styles of planning, styles of empathy so that will give us a broader, richer way to get to ultimately get to the end result we're all looking for, which is some genuine insight or professional perspective that changes how we're going to do things and see things. So, uh, yeah, I was all down for Karen Fate and Sub Rosa. John, I'm glad that I got to get that recap from you because that was a workshop I was trying to get into and it was full. So it's cool to hear what was discussed. I actually ended up in a, uh, in a really valuable workshop that at first I thought was going to be another direct consumer brand workshop. And it ended up being about how legacy brands and, and established brands can actually avoid disruption or at least try to borrow from the methodology that direct to consumer brands typically make use of in order to take advantage of opportunities themselves. So that one's really cool. And I, I, uh, I had to give a shout out to the ladies at Cole McCoy that led that one, Katie Anderson, Casey Cook. That was a really, it was a fun one. And we talked a lot about, about the death of Best Buy. So it was cool. All right. So we've talked a little bit about Planner Parlay um, kind of as a workshop and we're on the podcast. But John, why don't you tell the audience what you did at Stratfest? At Parlay, we focus on what matters to small agency strategists. So I ran a survey just before, and that helped inform the, the key themes that people wanted to talk about. And then we checked with everyone in the room. And really the common themes, everyone had their heads nodding, a lot of smiles, groans, and so on. But around three key areas, time and workload. Surprise, surprise, not enough time, too much workload. And the impact that has a strategist when we're always trying to desire to do something distinctive, different, and better. Two, how do we mentor ourselves? A lot of the people in the room are people like Steve and Sarah and myself where we run teams. And we're thinking about the role that strategy plays across the agency as a whole. So how do we actually get better at what we do? Which, of course, is one of the reasons, the primary reason why we were at Stratfest to begin with. And the third reason was around nurturing and finding talent. It's an ongoing challenge for us all. I think it's true across the industry, but particularly for small agencies. How do we find and bring in the right talent to help make our agency better and more distinctive? So those are the key themes. Steve, what did you take away from it? Well, you know, when we started talking about all three of these themes as a, as a group at our table, you know, one of the things that I think became really evident immediately is how uh, interwoven they are, how a lot of the things that come up around time are directly connected to um, your ability to utilize talent and disperse workload and, you know, deal with the inconsistent flow of, of work that comes to the strategy team throughout the course of a year. Um, and then your ability to utilize talent and distribute workload has a direct impact on how much you can focus on mentoring yourself, or at least, you know, seeking out mentorship, growing yourself. So it was really hard to peel these things apart because they do affect each of them are kind of one dimension of the same problem, I guess. I was, <laughs> I was a little surprised that billable time didn't come up in, in conversation or you know just kind of the the billable hours as revenue model and, and in some cases even a measurement of performance against the strategy discipline but you know time frames are, are a real challenge and it seemed like everybody was on the same page that it, it, it seems like time frames just keep getting shorter and shorter within which we're meant to deliver strategy work and it's tough because you you can be making a case for you know more hours within scope but then the timelines you're actually given you can't even use all the hours you've actually been provided in the scope because you have to deliver you know even faster than that or whatever the case may be one of the things i brought up was how how 
able are you to really mentor yourself? Is that actually something that is possible to do? And, you know, I kind of asked the room, do you all feel like you have mentors within your agencies that can give you guidance and help you grow and help you understand how to manage uh, teams and, and all of these things? And it was, it was surprising to me how many people said, no, no, I don't have that sort of role within my agency. I think for me personally, I've made use of a lot of the kind of virtual mentorship that is available online with really uh, prominent voices within the industry that have been very generous in their willingness to make resource available, make content available. And you can kind of learn a lot uh, remotely from those folks that has really helped me a lot in terms of being able to continue to hone my craft and, and get better at the work that I do. But the, la the last thing that really came up in conversation at the table and I had to kind of take a hard look at myself on was when we talked about talent and, and trying to balance out workloads among a team, making sure that I'm getting the the younger team members. And it's not necessarily an age thing, maybe more of an experience thing, but, but trying to get them opportunity while also protecting them a little bit from the, the work that nobody wants to do, the, gr the grunt work, the messy stuff, the BS. But I think somebody at the table kind of called me out and said, you know, you might be part of the problem. You're saying all these things are connected. And if you're not giving your team members a chance to to tackle some of these messy bits themselves, you're, you're kind of not giving them growth opportunity. And you're also shortchanging your own availability to, to grow yourself. So, I, you know, it gave me a lot to think about. And th these, these things aren't easy solves. And there was a lot of conversation in the room about, you know, how do you overcome that challenge? There was a lot of good sharing about ways that people, you know, a lot, a lot of conversation around meetings and how to be more efficient in meetings. But I mean, I don't know, that's the gold stuff. That's the best part of Stratfest to me is when you get a bunch of people commiserating on these, these shared challenges and pain points. Sarah, how about you? What insights do you have in, in those kind of those three topics? I mean, these are some pretty, pretty core topics and you're right, they're absolutely related. I think it's really interesting that the billable hours conversation didn't come up because no, there aren't enough hours in the day. And, you know, one of our biggest challenges is having to, because we are working on so many clients and so many projects within each of those clients at a time is switching brain space very rapidly. We're supposed to, as planners and strategists, have a very deep understanding and very deep concentration when it comes to um, understanding the consumer, understanding the business problem, how, how to creatively tie all of those pieces together. And when you're rapidly switching from one to the other, um, it can feel a little like your brain is glitching, honestly, when you have to get through um, that much work. And, you know, I actually, around the nurturing and talent piece, this is, development is actually one of my favorite parts of the job. I love my job in general, but I love being able to spend a lot of time with that young talent and no, maybe not young, maybe inexperienced, but giving them that balance of opportunity and protection. And to some extent, the protection on our side isn't as much about tasks or things like that, but it's more about pushing them out as quickly as they want to grow without putting them out there on a ledge. So just making sure that they're prepared before they take the leap because they're really impatient to have that growth path forward, which is beautiful, right? They're very hungry and they're very eager to learn, but at the same time, they have no fear. And sometimes you need to know <laughs> what to be afraid of. So that's really fun. And then, uh, you know, around the self-training, I think we've never had more resources at our disposal, but we've also 
never had so little time to dedicate to mentoring ourselves and being able to pay attention to our own growth and our own development. So they are all interrelated, but some really critical challenges facing this industry. So let's take a, m- a minute and just kind of step into that. You mentioned resources and Steve, you mentioned it also in terms of there's a lot out there. You've been able to find some really great communities you could take part in. Share a couple of recommendations with our audience. If you can't go to an event like Stratfest, where can you go to find a virtual community and, and really take part and learn from? Yeah. So, you know, there's a few that have been really instrumental and, you know, as I mentioned, our, the our team is, is new within our agency. And so in that we've been doing kind of a lot of collective learning together, making sure that we all are, have some shared foundation from which we're operating and, and doing our strategic work across clients and, and accounts. So one of the first things that I looked into was the ARC, W-A-R-C, um, their strategy toolkit curriculum. Uh, that's available through their platform. It's it's just a nice collection of content and material that is broken out by topic, and it, it's really foundational for you know, what would be con- traditionally considered, you know, the the account planning function, the planning function. So we've been going through that as a as a department, and you know, one of the best parts about it is the the course curriculum is kind of intentionally conflicting at times. They they intentionally package up contradictory points of view around certain topics. And so that has made for really healthy discussion and debate within my team. You know, we meet once a week, we review the meetings, and it's been a really nice cadence of learning and growth and discussion and, and honestly team bonding for us throughout the year. Beyond that, you know, some some voices in industry that I think have been really influential and formative for us. I, I can't remember if we already referenced it here, but I know it got brought up in the planner parlay. Mark Pollard's Sweathead community on Facebook uh, and his Sweathead podcast, honestly, have been really helpful in uh, not even just myself being able to seek out resource and get opinion and, and ask questions of fellow strategists, but you know, just watching how popular that community has become for folks to, to raise a hand and say, hey, I'm I'm struggling with this. Do you guys have any resources? Can you help me out? Can you give me some? I, I joked at one point, like there are so many posts that are, I'm looking for an example of, I mean, that's probably one of the most popular posts within that community, but it's, it's obviously been great. And Julian Cole was another uh, voice that has been really informative in the way that we've approached comms planning within the agency. And the fact that, that, he and Mark have kind of teamed up to be doing these uh, strategy supersizer mega classes that they've been doing throughout the country and throughout the world. I think it's, I don't know, it seems like a bit of a revival of kind of like a cool grassroots reclamation of of the strategy practice in a way that's very democratized. And I, I don't, I find that stuff really encouraging. On the other side of it, you know, folks like Mark Ritson, I think his, uh, he has a refreshingly <laughs> refreshingly candid point of view on what makes for good marketing and marketing strategy. And I'm a big fan of his. The the recaps that he's done for the, the FE Awards for the 50th anniversary were really beautifully distilled points of view on why marketing works well when it's done well. Uh, and then, you know, Lesbian at Peter Field, Byron Sharp, when, when you think about what makes for effective work, those are voices that I don't think can be ignored. And you can take a lot from the material that they put out there in terms of research-backed approaches to effective marketing. Sarah, how about you? Where do you go? Yeah, um, I think it's really important that you've mentioned podcasts, right? Those are, I think, 
have been the savior in trying to keep up with a lot of the reading and um, self-education that a lot of um, a lot of us just don't have time to do as much of. Some of the same things Steve mentioned have definitely been resources. I also, during Stratfest, was kind of comparing notes with other planners and strategists on, you know, their hacks and tips for trying to keep up with some of that reading. Things like some of those Blinkist type products that are kind of cliff notes for business strategy reading and self-education, things like HBR. HBR actually has a really good Instagram following, which is pretty, pretty random. But again, a lot of podcasts, we actually internally here formed a group that is combined of the creative folks and the client partnership people and our strategy and uh, insights teams that has a, a weekly podcast group that we uh, bring different sources. So it's very across the board in terms of what we may be listening to and discussing that day, but uh, it just kind of keeps us all on the same page and thinking and kind of collaborating together across disciplines. So that's been a really, a really rich resource for us. You know, one more thing I would add, you know, Sarah brought up podcasts and there's certainly a lot out there that can be really instructive and informative. And, and even I'm also a fan of Blinkist. I think it's great when you start trying to get through all of the strategy books that are out there. They're not all on there, but a lot of them are. And it's a, it's a really great way to get a preview and then determine like, hey, I definitely need to make a point to read that whole thing. What, one thing that I've done that's been really helpful, I know people have mixed opinions on LinkedIn, but what I do is anytime I hear a podcast guest, anytime I, I read something that's that's really uh, impactful, I'll get on LinkedIn and I'll look up whoever whoever that person is and I'll follow them. I won't try to connect with them. I'll just click the, the follow button. And what it's given me is a LinkedIn feed that's just full of strategy and marketing focused thought leadership. And I don't know, it's been kind of a goldmine to just kind of get a nonstop feed of, of what people are talking about, great case studies that are being celebrated, controversial topics that are being argued. So I really encourage people to, um, anytime you come across somebody who's got a really interesting opinion, who knows what they're talking about, think about getting on LinkedIn and following them and using that as a vehicle to get a lot of really smart voices in, in front of you on a day-to-day -day basis. Great examples. And uh, in fact, I'm probably nodding as, as we go through all of Steve's list and Sarah's list with, with the greats and goods of where we can get uh, get inspired. Steve actually just showed me a long list, which we'd be, uh, we'd be promoting back out imminently, Steve, because part of the thing I did at Parley was I had, what, the 40 people in the room give me their secret weapon. And it comes back to exactly what Sarah and Steve were talking about earlier. Everyone's incredibly generous of, here's a resource that I use. So I'm actually in the process right now of compiling that list because there's some new things on there that I, that I love the look of. Uh, and I want to share that back out with everyone. And, and I've heard of this great new show called Planner Parlay about small agency planning that I, I think fits on all of those lists. Just, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so two more questions and then... Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up, but the, so the Jay Shiat Awards are also done at uh, Stratfest, and they're, they're awards given for exemplary planning, planning that has made a difference and taken the creative in a direction that it couldn't have got to on its own. So a lot of people don't know that that's happening there at the same time, so we wanted to call those out, and I wanted to ask each of you, what were the themes that you saw from the awards this year? Like, what really stood out to you as, as, a, as a kind of a rising trend or a theme or a piece of work that you just loved? John, go ahead. So let me connect that with the last point as well, which is actually the four A's um, posts uh, all of the Jay Shire award entries, the winning entries, the stories told about how strategy made a difference. For me, that's always a really great source of inf information that I can go and look at and hopefully not steal, but definitely get inspired by what great strategy is all about, which is finding, finding a point of difference. 
And that for me is really interesting when I think about the themes for this year. The work that really stood out for me was the work that wasn't just about the really simple story well told, engaging and connect the thread between the challenge and the result. But there was that moment. There's the moment in the case studies when you go, I feel jealous. I, I, I wish I had thought that. I wish I'd said that, expressed that. So great work from uh, across, actually across the world. One of my favorites was probably uh, Mother. Mother one on connection strategy for the New York Public Library, where basically they flip the problem on its head. Gen Z doesn't go to the library because they're on their phones. So what you do is you take the library to them and created the very first ever instant novel as a way to connect. And I just loved the, the audacity, the simplicity of the drive to flip the challenge around completely to lead to a better result. That definitely made me jealous. Steve, how about you? You know, uh, John, it's interesting you bring that one up because I found myself really enamored with the execution as it was being presented. And the cynic in me was kind of like, well, did, did they get more people to go to the library? I'm not sure. So, so I, I left I left that one feeling a little bit unresolved. But I really I thought the work was outstanding. And, and to your point, definitely jealousy inducing. I think for me, what was really obvious, and it, I, I would say the same thing about last year's winners, it's refreshing to see a lot of non-advertising solutions to client problems. You know, I think that it's evidence that folks in our discipline are increasingly adept at being able to utilize all the tools at their disposal, and it doesn't necessarily have to come in the form of ad unit. The flip side of that then is being aware of what might start to become a propensity to try to find, you know, the the really unexpected, non-obvious thing to make where we we actually undermine the the power that advertising you know in marketing generally can actually have so i i always kind of measure those those award winners out and and think you know this is cool this was a really unique and interesting way to approach this problem but i i try to also be mindful of not falling in love with kind of making things and and remembering that we're still in a business that when done well can work really hard from a pure advertising and marketing perspective and maybe that's just like the old school in me, but I always try to keep that in mind. You can be old school, Steve. I think that's, you know, there's absolutely a place for, you know, just approaching the problem that you're given and solving it in a really amazing way, whether it's more straightforward or like a lot of these award winners. And I think that was one of the biggest themes was most of these folks that were nominated and then eventually won were kind of talking about reframing the problem from the original approach that they were given. I think one of the most interesting. I just liked that idea of reframing the problem because we do get a lot of clients, you know, coming to us with, I need an ad campaign. I don't know what I'm trying to achieve, but I need an ad campaign, you know? And so really thinking through what, what are we ultimately trying to impact and then doing that however we think will make, will be the most effective. And I think it's totally fair to be questioning, you know, the library was amazing. That, that campaign was beautiful, but did it drive my more library visits? I don't know. It got more people reading. That makes me happy. I thought too, um, VMLY and R's example, the SIP safe was an interesting way of reframing that problem, right? They were given an assignment to create a brochure, but then they reframed it, find this problem and raise awareness around people getting their drinks contaminated. And so they created this wristband that you could test your drink on, which was probably not super effective in, in keeping people from drugging drinks, but it at least raised the awareness of the problem, which I thought was really interesting. 
So um, it's really great to see all of these examples of really great thinking and how it translates into the work. I think just for the value of the inspiration and discussing how they got to that place has been really valuable. It occurs to me that I didn't actually, I didn't actually share my favorite, so I should probably do that. Uh, <laughs> so I really liked FP7 McCann Dubai's case study on introducing the new Arabic word for parenthood that actually represented mothers and not just fathers. Those are the the cool aspirational types of work that I think we all would love to to do, where we're actually having cultural impacts as well as you know accomplishing the task that a client put in front of us. To me, it reminded me of last year's winner that McCann India did, where they they essentially made having a toilet in a home a status symbol, and in doing so, made life safer for for women in India. I, I think that stuff is really cool, and you know I, this is the same guy who just said, let's not forget about doing traditional advertising and marketing, but I do think that there are really interesting ways of solving a problem that can fundamentally, you know, contribute to the greater good for humanity, which um, why not when you can, let's do that always. Final question for everybody. You go to these events, you get very inspired, you get very excited, you're ready to like kind of rip into work when you get back to the office, but then you get back to the office. How do you maintain momentum and inspiration and kind of keep that spirit alive once you're, once you're back to the grind? John? It's a reality, right, that we all come back in, and I'm sure Sarah and Steve are the same. We walk back into the office after the best part of a week away, and it's crazy world. What I think I try and do is I think about what are small things I can put into practice now and what are bigger things that I actually set time in my calendar to start talking about with other people in the agency. So it doesn't become just insular within me. Sure, we can all do a lunch and learn on what we heard, but that's very different to actually what you're saying about how do we maintain the momentum and implement it. So I I like thinking about very, very small touches that I can start to add into the work I'm doing, the conversations I'm having, but also set time in the calendar to really spend at least an hour thinking about, okay, so this inspired me at Stratfest. How do we start to apply this in what we do with a, a truth collective? How about you, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that's been the most effective for me is coming back and immediately pulling my teams in and saying, okay, let's try this, right? I learned this thing. I thought it was really cool. Let's try it on the next project and really looking for those next opportunities to to test it out. Um, any of the things that we've learned or thought about or really bringing it back to the team and just saying, let's, you know, let's try it. Immediately implementing before a lot of it falls away and the glow of the beautiful experience, you know, fades from our memory until next year. I, you know, I think for me, there's always a lot of food for thought and it, and it takes me a little bit to digest that and, and turn it into application for the, the work we're doing. And, you know, I think to your point, it's easy to just walk right back into the tidal wave of work and uh, completely lose the value. One of the things that I think it came up in the the plan of parlay, maybe in conversation at our table, but just talking about what what being a strategist or planner within a small agency looks like, and, and maybe some of the differentiators between uh, the way we work and ways we engage, or, or even where where our backgrounds uh, started and the types of trainings we've we've had. I started thinking about this this kind of difference between being a purebred planner and kind of a, a mutt, you know, having this muttishness. And I don't know that that's necessarily correlated with the size of an agency, but uh, as I was thinking about that, I, re- I read an article on Wark that was uh, David Tiltman wrote a, about a talk that Ben Malvin from Google had that was differentiating between proper planners and post planning planners, where he was kind of calling out proper planners as being 
the traditionally schooled and trained, classically trained, he, he compared them to a beautifully sharp machete. And then he talked about post-planning planners being more like a Swiss army knife. And, and I bring that up, both of those threads, to say that, you know, as I continue to think about where strategy goes within our agency and how I continue to grow and evolve our team, you know, there's there's moments where I start to have doubts around the way that I've structured it and the way we've focused ourselves from a function perspective, how we assign work, how we approach work. And it, it I think it just really encouraged me that I'm headed in the right direction, that there's nothing wrong with having kind of a, a pack of strategy mutts that are all mm-hmm. u- utility focused Swiss army knife types, because to be honest, I, I do think, and this is kind of the point that the article makes, that's the way that things are moving. And the more we can be generalists, maybe with some areas of specialty, but but being able to, to flex and flow with the types of work that clients bring us to be able to plug in into the day-to-day and add value as well as you know zoom out at a high altitude and have that master plan, I think we got to be able to handle both. And so I just find myself looking forward as we near the end of the year and start thinking about where things are going next year, really leaning into and embracing that idea of being a strategy mutt and and maybe to draw that metaphor out a little bit more, you know, what are all the things that mutts don't have to suffer from that, that purebreds do, you know, like typically they're hardier, they, they don't suffer the same sort of, you know, uh, hip dysplasias and, and things like that. So maybe, maybe we're a hardier breed in our muddishness and, and I take some solace and comfort in that. And it's, it's encouraging for me going into the new year. Steve, I, I love that. I'm a proud mutt myself. I think that it's really been a valuable tool for us in the past couple of years, especially as the industry and agencies in general have shifted direction and, and gone to, you know, we're always focused on what does the CMO and the CEO need from us now. And I think as that shifts maybe more into, you know, we're getting requests that are a lot more like strategic planning than traditional planning. And as they're looking to consultancies to solve some of those problems, we've needed to shift that direction too and get a lot stronger in certain areas than than others. And maybe the pendulum will swing back, but MUT status really does give you the flexibility to bring what the client needs at the time. Yeah, we're scrappy. Yeah, right? I think uh, hashtag mutt status is the (laughs) hashtag for this episode. The kind of planner you don't want to run into in an alley, right? Hashtag (laughs) mutt life. Mutt life. Well, thank you both so much for joining us on the episode. We really appreciate all your insight on Stratfest, all the things that you shared with us. For our listeners out there, as John mentioned, we're compiling some of the stuff into some shareable form where you'll be able to kind of find links to some of these resources. And we can also put some of the key resources in the, the links in our show notes. So Steve, Sarah, John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Great. great to catch up with you, guys. See you. Planner Parlay, a Truth Collective production.